Matthew chapter number 21, we're in our series, The Parables of Jesus, and just been going through different parables, and tonight, I want to preach a message titled, Two Boys with Bad Attitudes, and so hopefully will help us understand uh, this parable tonight in Matthew chapter number 21, verse 28, two boys with bad attitudes. If you're in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, would you say amen with me if you're there? All right, good. Jesus says this, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. I think it's important to note here that the father had a vineyard, and the son was responsible to work in the vineyard. It wasn't an option to work in the father's vineyard. So when he said to his son, like many of you dads tonight, when you tell your kids to go do something... And you say, hey, I want you to take out the trash. You're not saying, hey, if you want to, take out the trash. Hey, honey, I want you to tell your daughter, hey, honey, I want you to clean out the refrigerator. What you're not saying is, if you decide that something that would work with your schedule, what you're saying is, do it. Amen. And so the the father came to the son and he said, go work in my vineyard. And the son answered and he said, I will not. I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. How many of you, your kid ever tell you no? Probably not more than once, right? And he came to the second and he said, likewise. And he he said unto him, likewise, go work in my vineyard. And he answered, that son said, I go, sir, I will go, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, we're going to learn later that that's the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel, they say unto him, the first. And Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Whoa, what a statement. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. This parable comes, if you read the whole chapter of Matthew 21, this parable comes on the heels of Jesus cleansing the temple. And how many of you have read that story and just find it amazing that Jesus went into the temple and began to flip the tables over? How many find that story amazing? I do. He cleanses the table and he cursed the fig tree. Up until this moment of Christ's journey on earth, his short journey of three and a half years, he taught and he healed. As a teacher, many called him master, meaning teacher. Now Christ, in his ministry, would begin to show his authority. He is no longer just a teacher. He is no longer just another master, if you will. He is the Son of God. Verse 13 says, And he saith unto him, It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Can you see Jesus as he is filled with righteous indignation and he goes into the temple and he begins to turn the tables over, grabbing these opportunistic crooks, trying to rob people coming into church by the collar and begins to drag them out and throw them into the street and put them into the curb. And can you see the son of God showing his authority? Christ was establishing his authority as not just a master, but the Son of God. And may I say, there is only one Son of God. Jesus was healing. He was teaching. He was cleaning up shop. He was correcting. 
And the chief priests and the elders did not like this. As a matter of fact, they saw dollar signs going out the windows. They saw their opportunity and leadership fading away. They were jealous of Christ. And they wanted to know, they came to Jesus, and this is really where this parable comes from. They come to Jesus and they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Where do you get the authority to throw these people out of the temple? Where do you get the authority to teach the way that you teach? Look at what he says here. He turns to them and he says, Matthew chapter number 21, verse 24, and Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing. If you tell me, in uh, I, in likewise, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. He gives them a conundrum. He says, the baptism of John, whence was it? Of heaven or of men? And they reason with themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say unto this, then why didn't you believe him? Jesus puts this question back on them. And I love verse 28. He says this, three words. He says, what think ye? He puts it back on them. And by the way, that's where everyone in the world is tonight. Christ came, he died on the cross for us. And really it's up to us, what think ye? And this is where the parable of the two boys with bad attitudes begins. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask for wisdom to understand this parable. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight recognizing, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has all the authority. And Lord, we recognize that in our hearts tonight. And Lord, as we get down to the end of this theme and we talk, the end of this parable, and we talk about the theme of the parable, Lord, help us to understand that you do have a will, a vineyard, if you will. And we as sons have a responsibility to be in the vineyard. I pray that you would work in our hearts tonight. Remove all the distractions from our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Quickly tonight, if you're taking notes, I uh, just have four quick points tonight. And the first point is this. We want to talk about the target of the parable. The target of the parable. Sometimes when I preach a message, it's very targeted. And sometimes when I preach a message, it's, it's more like a shotgun. If it hits you and, you and you yelp, then it was for you. Amen. But Jesus, as he gives this parable, while some parables might be a little more ambiguous in nature, you might not know exactly unless you study it. This parable is much more targeted. He is targeting a specific group of people. In verse 45 of the chapter, we see who he is targeting. It says here, and when the chief priests and the who? Pharisees. So the chief priests and the who? The Pharisees heard his parables. They what? They perceived that he spake of them. I love that. In my mind, it's like when the room goes quiet and you find somebody not paying attention and you're staring at them. And, and now we're all looking at you. And then, and then it's almost like, here's the, the Pharisees, and it's almost like they say, wait a minute, is he talking to us? What? Are you talking to us? And they perceive, they realize that Jesus spoke this parable, and he targeted it straight at them. This parable, and the next one, Jesus is going to specifically deal with Israel, their religious system, their leaders, their chief priests, and their elders. Why is Christ addressing them? Why was he speaking directly to them? Pretty, just in a nutshell, pretty simply, they had it coming. They had it coming. You ever, you ever say to your kids, you asked for it? You asked for it? Well, this, for this particular parable, these, these religious leaders, they asked for it. And so they have been challenging Christ's authority. They have been plotting to kill him. 
They have been trying to trip him up. They've been looking for opportunities to cause problems. And Christ was no longer being tolerant with this behavior. He was no longer entertaining their uh, subtle uh, worship and their subtle uh, questions. He was ready to uh, tell them how it was, so to speak. And so Christ was either the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, or he is not. He is either the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, or he is not. He is not just another teacher. He is not just another rabbi. And we could take a note out of that in our context today where the world likes to say that Jesus is just another great teacher. He is just another wise person. He is just another one of the many that you can follow. And may I just say tonight, that is absolutely anti-Bible. And anti-biblical, you cannot lump Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha all in the same category. Hey, listen, it's either Jesus or it's nothing. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. You must follow him or you follow, or you follow someone else. But you cannot lump him up with everyone else. And so he is God. I said he is God. No less, no less. So Jesus goes ahead and he puts the question to them. What think ye? Who do you think I am? So we see the target of the parable. He tar- he's targeting right at these Pharisees. Who do you think I am? Next, number two, we see the two sons of the parable. So we see the target, and then we see the parable itself, verse 28 through 31. Let's just read it one more time. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And then he came to the second, and he said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. Here we are with two boys with bad attitudes. One boy had a bad attitude at first, but he repented and did the father's work. The other boy had a good attitude at first, but actually ended up with the worst attitude. And so we see two boys with bad attitudes. Who are these boys and who do they represent? These two boys represent two groups of people. It's very simple. The Gentile and the, you and I, the Gentile and the sinners of the world, and it represents Israel and their religious leaders and their system of worship. So it represents those two things. So letter A, let's talk about the first son. Let's talk about the first son. He came to the first and he said, son, go work in my vineyard today. And he answered and said, I will not, but afterward repented. The first son represents the Gentiles, those that are sinners. In other words, it represents you and me. And unless you're a Jewish person tonight, you are a Gentile. So all the Gentiles say amen. 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 So you're a Gentile tonight. So the first son represents us, you and I. We began by disobeying. We were not, we were not God's people. We were not, come on now, we were not God's people. We were not, we were alienated. We were separated. There was, there was a separation between us and God. We were born in sin. For, uh, we understand uh, that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all condemned and we are all sinners. And so the first son represents the Gentile nation. As time goes on, this disobedient son, he repents. He changes his mind. He turns from his sin and does the will of his father. This son, again, represents those of us who've repented from our sin and followed Christ in our life. And if that's you tonight, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I have repented from my sin. I have repented for the way I was going. And I have decided to follow Christ in my life. And by the way, uh, getting saved is more than just, as he said tonight, uh, uh, one, two, three, pray after me. That, salvation is more than that. It's more than just open sesame. Salvation is repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. Amen. Repentance is still in the Bible. And so if you're here tonight and you haven't repented from this way of thinking and repented from, I got to add my works to, I got to do this, this, and this, and this, and then go to, and then go to Christ. No, I got to repent from that way of thinking. I got to repent from that mindset and turn to Christ fully and say, I'm putting all my faith and all my trust in Christ. It's not about going to church. It's not about giving money to church. It's not about doing good deeds and all these thoughts over here. No, it's about putting my faith and trust alone in Christ. And that's the first son. And he did that. He obeyed his father. In the end, we see he followed the gospel. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus. We did not know God. We did not have any standing with God. We did not have any promises or covenants with God. But we did have something. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. Jesus came. And he paid the price. Jesus came and he broke down that middle wall partition between us. Jesus came and the veil was rent in twain. Jesus came and he brought us nigh by the blood to God. Jesus came and he redeemed us. Jesus, we have Jesus tonight. Praise the Lord for that. We're accepted. We're adopted. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And it doesn't matter where you're from. I like this because it doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what, what, what family you come from. It doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is, is Christ. And so we see the first son represents the Gentiles. And then we see the second son, letter B. Letter B. I feel it's a little stuffy in here if one of the staff could help with that. We see a second son here. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. He at first said, I will go, I will do what you ask, and he did it not. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, when I tell my kids to go do something and I expect it to be done, and then I go find that it's not done, how many of you parents don't enjoy that? That's something that I don't enjoy. I do enjoy in and out for instance, but I don't enjoy finding things that aren't done. And so we see here that the second son is like that. Look at verse 32. For John came unto you by the way of righteousness. These religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they saw John. They heard John preaching in the wilderness. Many people went out to see him. John would baptize. But these these men, these religious leaders, these people, they did not believe in John's gospel, the gospel of repentance. And they certainly did not believe in Jesus. But the publicans and the harlots believed in him. And he said, look at what he says here. He says, and ye, when ye had what? Seen it. Everybody look at verse 32. And ye, when ye had what? Seen it. They saw it. They saw it. The disobedient son is just as bad as the first, but his fate is much different. The second son ultimately is a hypocrite. He says he's going to do one thing, but he does another. He acts like he loves God, but his heart is far from him. He acts like he has a form of godliness, but he denies the power thereof. He says, Lord, Lord, have I not done marvelous works in thy name? And God will say, Jesus will say, depart from me. 
Ye that work iniquity, I have never, I never knew you. You see, tonight, the proof is in the pudding. Ultimately, no matter what he said, what, no matter what the second son said, he went not. He didn't go. And no matter what he said. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for just a minute. Can you imagine? Just, just imagine with me for a minute that you personally saw Jesus walking around. Let's, let's, let's just go back in time 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine walking around the Sea of Galilee and, and being there and actually seeing Jesus face to face? Can you imagine with me watching Jesus as he, as he picked up that man who was lame on his feet and he picked him up and the ankle bones received strength and he was able to stand and for the first time in his entire life, he was able to walk. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine seeing the blind man coming to Christ and Christ spits on his hand and rubs his eyes and he can see again? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus watching him go to the the tomb where Lazarus was laying and say, Lazarus, come forth. And with awe and with, 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 with this incredible miracle, Lazarus comes forth. Can you imagine watching all those things and saying, I don't believe in him. I don't believe in him. I don't believe that. Now, you and I tonight, praise the Lord, tonight, how many of you have felt Christ in your life? You have asked Jesus to save you, and you might have not seen the face of God necessarily, but you've seen God working in your life. And I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God work in my family. I've seen God work in your life. I have seen God work, but these Pharisees literally saw Jesus work, and yet they still rejected Christ. That's what this is saying here. And ye had seen it and repented not. They saw Jesus do the miracles. They saw Jesus. They heard him teach. They had no excuse. They knew that Christ had the authority. They admitted that when they said, by what authority are you doing this? They with their own mouth said to Christ, in what authority are you doing this? They are saying you have authority and yet they still rejected Christ. This is the second son. We see the target of the parable. We see the two sons. Thirdly, let's talk about the theology of this parable. What does this parable mean to us in our theology and in what we believe, our doctrine in the Bible? Jesus, after teaching this parable, he presses the chief priests for a judgment. He says, whether of them or which of these two sons Twain did the will of his father. He asked a simple question. Which son, the first one or the second one? He asked the Pharisees. Which one of these guys, which one of them did the will of the father? Now, they judge, they actually bring judgment on themselves when they say, well, the first one did. Because in that statement, they're bringing judgment as the second son. And Jesus saith saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, I don't know about you. They didn't have microphones back then. But if they did, Jesus would have dropped the mic right there. And the crowd would have yelled, burn. I mean, this this was a statement right here. The publicans and the harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, in our vernacular, in our day, this is the worst thing you could have possibly said to someone. 
This was These folks in this day, they were the bottom of the barrel. They were the scourge of society. We're talking about criminals and immoral and vile people. According to these, uh, these Pharisees, these were people that these Pharisees would not even sit to eat with. They didn't want to be in the same room with. They didn't want to be around. And so when Jesus said, those people that you think are so disgusting and those people that you think are so vile, they're going to heaven before you are. What a statement. By the way, What does that tell me tonight? That tells me tonight that my salvation is not based on my merit or good deeds. And all God's people said, my salvation is based on grace through faith. And that's it. You might be here tonight. You might feel like tonight. Look up here. You might be here tonight. You might feel like the biggest sinner in the room. And guess what? Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And I'm so glad for that tonight because I don't know about you. I'm a sinner. And so are you. And you might think, man, pastor, you don't know what I did in my life. You don't know where I've been in my life. Well, I know this, that the publicans and the harlots are going to heaven, and so can we. Amen? Amen. Amen to that. It's not based on my good deeds. It's not based on what I do. It's based on Jesus Christ and faith in Him. We notice Christ's choice of words here. It's very specific. He said, notice He said, they would not go to the kingdom of God instead of you. He says they will not go to they will go to the kingdom of God before you. In other words, and I like this, Christ leaves the door open for repentance for them. He left the door open. Think about Paul. Paul had not come to Christ yet. That wouldn't be till Acts chapter number eight, Acts chapter number seven, Acts chapter number nine, where Paul comes to the Lord. Paul had not come to Christ yet. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and so Christ he leaves this door open. What does that tell us? The opportunity was there for them to choose Christ still, even in their own self-righteousness, even in their own blindness. And many would say that's impossible for that Pharisee to go to Christ. That's impossible for that Pharisee to humble himself. Yes, with men, some things are impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. You can see here the theology of grace and faith and repentance all wrapped up in one. The story of grace is woven throughout this story. Not only, do the, not only do the publicans and the harlots have the opportunity to go to heaven, but so do, so do the Pharisees. They still have opportunity. The sinner is a son adopted, loved, and accepted, not because of his merits, not because of his good deeds, but because of the grace of God. The religious hypocrite can still come to Christ, even though it seems impossible for him. How many of you have ever met somebody? who was so wrapped up in their religious deeds, you thought to yourself, they'll never be able to break through that. And we think that in our hearts, they'll never be able to give up that, uh, that system. I was soul winning a few years ago, and I don't remember who I was with, but we were, we were here in Manteca, and I went up to this house, and there was this lady that came to the door. and Oh, she was a sweet lady. She was probably in her 60s, 70s, an older lady. And she was watching her grandkids. And I remember I began to talk to her, and and she seemed very polite, very knowledgeable about Scripture. And we began talking about the Bible, and I just, I just really enjoyed talking to her. We talked about how good God was, and we talked about family. And, and then, of course, we got, I got down to the, to, the, to the gospel question. And I asked her the question. I said, I said, ma'am, can I just ask you a question before I go? I said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that heaven would be your home? And she said this, which heaven? <laughs> which heaven? And I said, oh, I said, well you know, the one that the Bible talks about. And so we got into that, and we, I found out later that she believed in a different kind of religion. 
And even though she had all that scripture in her mind, and even though she knew so much about the Bible, she didn't understand salvation by grace through faith. She didn't believe that Jesus was God. She didn't, she didn't believe that Jesus was God. And so we talked about that. And I walked away from there. My heart was broken for her. And I thought to myself, how in the world is she going to give all of that up her whole life? She was this particular religion her whole entire life. I don't remember if it was Mormon, Jehovah Witness. I can't remember. But she had been that way her entire life. And I thought, how is this possible? You know what? With men, it's impossible. But with God, it's always possible. It's always possible. I think of Brother Moises. Where are you at, Moises? I saw him earlier tonight. Brother Moises was saved out of Jehovah Witness background. And others in our church have been saved from that. And can I just say tonight that the power of the cross, the power of the gospel goes far beyond our comprehension. How many of you tonight, if somebody were to look back at you in your life, they would have thought, "Mm, that's impossible. (laughs) And you are a working miracle tonight, amen? Praise the Lord that a religious hypocrite can still accept Christ. Even though it might seem impossible to give up his pride and his good deeds, there's still grace available for the taking. Either way, it's grace for all. You might be thinking tonight, okay, pastor, it's about salvation, the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. We see the target. We see the theology here. Let's talk a little bit. Let's just land the plane here on number four. Let's talk about the theme of the parable, the theme of the parable. And this is where the practical application is. This will not be a long application, but it's very pointed. Whether of the twain, Jesus asked, whether of them twain, which of the two did the will of the father? Which of these two sons did what their father asked, he said unto them. The theme, what is the theme of this parable? The theme is simply, who is doing the Father's will? Who is doing what God told them to do? We are Gentiles. We are saved. Is that it? Is that it for us now that we're saved? Now that we've accepted Christ and even though the walls come down and the middle partition is gone and the, the veil is rent, is that it for us just because we're saved? No. I said, no. The Father has a vineyard. I said, the Father has a vineyard. I said, the Father has a vineyard. My wife and I were talking the other day, and she gave me a great illustration that I'm going to steal, all right? Sorry, honey, you can't use this now in your class. How many of you ever go to the gym? Four of you? Amen. All right. When you go to the gym, what are you supposed to do at the gym? You're supposed to exercise. How many of you ever gone to the gym and pretend to exercise? Me and Alex, awesome, buddy. You go and you stand there next to the treadmill and you're watching the Food Network up there. Don't look at me like that, like you've never done that. (laughs) You could go to the gym every day. You could go to the gym. You could walk up. You could look at the weights. You could go to the gym. You could walk up and look at the bench press. You could go to the gym and, and, and boy, you could put on the shoes. And this is what I do. I always go out and buy new shoes and new exercise clothes. And then I go once and never go again. You could get the shoes and you could get the, you know, you could get the heart monitor and you could get the new water bottle and you could go to the gym every single day. You could go to the gym, but if you never lift the weights, if you never do the exercise, you're never going to grow at the gym. Just going to the gym will do nothing for you. I mean, know where I'm going with this tonight. You're in the gym tonight. You're in the church. We're at the church tonight. Just going to the church is half the battle. Amen? The Father has a vineyard. There's some things that He has called us to do. There's some things that He wants us to do. And the theme is simply this. Who is doing the Father's will? 
Yes, we're Gentiles, and yes, we're saved, and praise the Lord for that, but we must recognize tonight that we are sons. We are His sons, and because we are His sons, and He is our Father, we have a responsibility to the vineyard. Some Christians believe that Christian service is an option. It's an option. Christian service is not an option. Come on, somebody, this is the Sunday night crowd, amen? Christian service is not an option. It's never been an option. We are the sons of God. We are to go work in the vineyard. And I understand some people can work more than others. I understand all that. But we are all his sons, and we all have a responsibility to the vineyard. I was preaching this morning really hard. I was running around here. Spit was flying everywhere. And a guy in the front row got his mask out and went like this. (laughs) I thought, well, yep, that's a good thing to do. Listen tonight. There's work to be done in the vineyard. There's work to be done. There's room for you in the vineyard. Jesus tells us, lift up your eyes. The fields are white, all ready to harvest. We know all these scriptures. But going to the gym isn't good enough. Going to the gym doesn't make you an athlete. Lifting the, lifting the equipment makes you the athlete. Going to the church doesn't, doesn't mean that we're serving the Lord. Going to church is half the battle. There's another side to the coin. There's a vineyard that needs workers. Could I just say this tonight as a side note? There's no room in the Lord's house for bad attitudes. As sons, we should not be found idle. As sons, we should be the ones that say, I will go, and we actually go. We shouldn't be the sons that say, oh, yeah, I'll do that, and then we don't show up. We shouldn't be the sons that say, oh, yeah, I will serve, and then we don't serve. We ought to be the sons that say, here am I, Lord, send me, and then when he sends us, we go. We ought to be the sons that are faithful. We ought to be the sons that are serving. We ought to be the sons that want to please the Lord tonight. We ought to be the sons that are busy about our Father's business. Listen, there's a vineyard, and there are workers that are needed. We're sons. We should not be found idle. The proof is in the pudding. (laughs) The true son will be about the father's business. Service is not optional for the son. Just like tonight, if you told one of your kids to do something, I want you to clean your room. Cleaning their room is not optional. They are a son. And God tells us many things to do. And those things are not optional. We've received this wonderful gift of salvation. We've been adopted as sons. We have a lot to look forward. We sing a lot about heaven tonight, thought a lot about heaven tonight, and I'm looking forward to heaven. Amen? Amen. And because we're sons, we'll enjoy heaven someday, but there's a vineyard today to work in. Will we stand together tonight with me and we'll start our invitation?